chairs up, and uh, with any luck, can we swap over to the, the Mackie thing? What we're going to do today is have a little look at that passage, short look at that passage from Matthew 5, which talks about being salt and light. One of the things I really like about having a month set aside to look at mission and actually asking, um, we've got a, a mission organization, NZBMS slash TransN slash, it's got half a dozen different titles, it seems. Um, asking them to set the agenda is that it means that we're listening to people who are grappling in mission and very often for churches, uh, in the history of the church, it's been on the mission field that people figure things out. They face challenges, they make changes, and they do it because they are forced to. They're not quite so comfortable. Little exercise in comfort. Could I ask those of you who aren't knitting, Helen, you're released to this, to um, fold your arms. Now, what I want you to do is pay attention. Oh, all of a sudden, I'm, you're looking quite annoyed with me. No, um, the... Um, Notice which hand is on the outside and which hand is on the inside. Yep. If you're wearing a watch, this is really easy. Notice where your watch is. Okay, unfold your arms. Now fold your arms the other way. <laughs> we are creaky. It's quite tricky, isn't it? Does it feel right? No, it feels... We're really very much creatures of habit. We know the way we like things to be. And um, one of the glorious things that happens when you step outside of your own framework is you start to see, um, you are released from folding your arms now, um, you, you start to see the world differently. And there's a gift to it. I really um, was very taken with the video. In 2013, Linda and I went to Bangladesh, and that, um, I don't know if you saw, there was a high-rise building um, that's part of a school. Um, when we were there, they'd just been given it, and it was a prison. So it had metal bars and metal shutters, and it was really pretty awful to look at. When you're thinking about mission, it's worth us remembering it's not that we have a mission, but God has a mission, and the God of mission has a church. This is something God does, and that's really important because we, particularly Westerners, we're in the habits of creating rods for our own backs. We're in the habit of making these tasks, and if they don't go the way we expect, we'll beat ourselves up for it. But this is God's thing. Anyway, NZBMS, they wanted us to look at Bangladesh and to look at salt and light. So what we're going to do today is I've got a very short reflection on salt and light. And then we're going to have Alan and Jan come and share with us a bit about what it was like to live and work in Bangladesh. And as Linda pointed out, if you um, really can't cope with what I'm saying, um, you can see if you can see where Arnie is. Arnie is a pastor who they talk through a bunch of the places where NZBMS is at work all right, let me read to you from the message translation. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. 
Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. This passage, Salt and Light, comes after the Beatitudes, a series of blessed are statements that Jesus makes that seems to take the bar and put it sky high. How do you live that way? And Jesus then follows it by saying, you are the salt of the earth. He does not say, now I've got a training program for you. You need to do this so that you can become salt. He does not say, after you've got a degree, he does not say, you are 50% salt. You need to raise your saltiness. He says, you are salt. You already are this. If you think of it as character... It's a nice line, although the line about losing its saltiness, um, in the um, very early days of the early church, bizarrely in a synagogue, a rabbi was asked, what should you do with unsalty salt? And he said, salt it with the afterbirth of a mule. Yeah, and we'll go, what? Uh, well, a mule is a sterile animal that cannot have kids. Which is to say, salt doesn't lose its saltiness. Um, you can dilute it. Yeah, pour heaps of water and wash it away. Anyone tried to do that? You can adulterate it, but salt is salt. And Jesus' first thing here is to say, you are salt. And then he does the same thing with light. He doesn't say, mate, you're getting a bit dim, though sometimes I feel that way. I feel like a 10-watt light bulb surrounded by 100-watt light bulbs. But no, he doesn't speak that way. He says, you are light. And light isn't supposed to hide who it is. And he gives this example. It would be crazy to light a lamp and stick it under a candle. So as it happens, I have two candles here. Stick it under a bowl, that should have been. So I'm going to light them both. Fire in church. Don't worry, we have sprinklers above. <laughs> Ask the building team about that. <laughs> two tea light candles. Okay, and uh, um, just to illustrate this, I... Um, I'm going to put one under a bowl. Jesus says that's crazy. And it is. And I suspect his point is, again, you are light. Now, my guess for myself is that we don't, I don't recognize that. We don't recognize that. I think our default is to notice all our imperfections, impurities. I'm not good enough. And yet... What if we are light and salt following Jesus? What would that look like? I mean, yes, all of us, we want to be a superhero. We want to be a Marvel hero of saltiness. You know, we want the costume and the Iron Man and all the works. But I don't think that's how it works. So when I was reading this and turning it over, I was running a program for recovering addicts, and I have a vivid memory of going to one of them. I told him a story in which, you know, when you're telling a story, there's that temptation just to make yourself look a little bit better. You all have done that. I just stretched a couple of the details, and it was, you know, and anyway, I'd kind of gone home that night, gone to bed that night, and thought, oh, that wasn't okay. So I went back to this guy and said, look, you know that story, um, what I said wasn't really true. You know, I kind of made myself to be the hero, and I, so it was kind of a lie, and I screwed up, and uh, could you forgive me for that? And what? So this is something, this is not a story of my success, this is a story of my failure. But what got him, he says, mate, everybody does that. And I said, 
yeah, but I'm a follower of Jesus. Actually, I'm supposed to be about truth and honesty. And even in the screw-up, I ended up being salt. You are salt. You are light. That's the way Jesus talks. This is God's kingdom, which is not about us. And I think that's what missionaries end up doing wherever they are. They are placed. They get to be salt and light. And not all of that is great. Some of it is tough. But that's why I love the message. I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand. Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. That's my two cents worth, but enough of the two cents. Let's raise the currency stakes. Alan, Jan, would you like to come up? Come and grab a seat. I've got mics for you, which are now on. Thank you. Where would you like to sit? Creatures of habit. I always sit over here when I'm interviewing. It must be like folding arms, do you think? <laughs> so um, let's just start off with anyone who doesn't know you. This is Alan and Jan, and you've lived a, a bunch of years in Bangladesh. That's right. We went to Bangladesh in 1999, and we lived in Dhaka and the surrounding areas for nine years. And then from India in our 10th year, we commuted back to Bangladesh quite a number of times across the border. I'm just going to Can I just say that we were in our mid-50s when, when we went. I mean, it's a confronting-looking country, isn't it? <laughs> but we were in our mid-50s when we went, and I would say it's probably one of the richest nine years of our lives. It was very special. Um, I, have, I just want to give a public apology. I've right? copied your images. Yes, you're on. You're on. I've copied your images. They don't appear to be here right now. Okay. So we're going to have to roll on without them for now. And we now. can roll on. Actually, we went to a, we went to a deputation uh, meeting up in uh, Kerry College in Auckland one day, and uh, the suitcase with all of our overheads and everything was going round around the carousel at the airport still. Uh, we'd forgotten to pick it up. And uh, so as we spoke, we said that this was such and such, and this was such and such. And we said, just use your imagination. Oh, very good. Well, I'm afraid you're going to have to do that today. Um, my, uh, many apologies. It was there um, uh, half an hour ago, um, and I'm not certain what's happened. So one of the questions, um, Jesus is always, the Bible is really interested in four, uh, what they call a quartet, which is um, the, uh, the hard done by, basically. The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. So what's it like to be poor in Bangladesh? There's a wonderful photo up there of a road that is just across from our place um, and it shows all whole little shacks all along the street made of tarpaulins, blue plastic, you know, all that tied together with string. And um, just there were thousands of people living in these little shacks, hovels just all the way along and I've got a close-up one so you can see what they look like close-up. It's going to be there in a moment. Keep talking. Uh, and... Um, they, they're, they're just destitute. We had beggars at our house every day. Um, not the professional beggars, but it was mostly the grandparents. Perhaps the young were able to pull rickshaws or something, but it was the older men and ladies that, that would come. They had a bowl and they went round the houses locally and we had a big container of rice at our door and we gave a cup full of rice to everyone who came. You didn't find them? I got them. They're up. Oh, yes. they're up. They're, that's the, the little girl 
is the cutest little beggar that we had. I just wanted to show you that. And, and they, they were just destitute. They had nothing. Um, which one's on? It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter? You don't, don't talk to the images. Just uh, okay. tell us your story. The, the one of um, breaking bricks. My neighbour broke bricks for... She sat there in the hot sun with a hammer and those sort of bricks. She would get about $2 a day breaking bricks. And that was what she did. Two minutes of it was enough for me. I had a wee go at it and thought, well, that's, that's the end of that. I, I don't want to do that. One day in our building, I met a, a lady going round. She had a handful of taka in her hand and she had a, her wrist was sore. She showed it to me and it was in our early days, so I didn't really understand Bangla very much, but we, we did have to learn it. But I heard Ponoro Din, Din Agi, which means 15 days ago. And I thought, surely she hasn't had this broken arm for 15 days. So I took her up to our landlord, landlady up above who could speak English. I wanted just to get the facts about this lady. And so she told me, yeah, sure enough, she translated, this lady has had her broken arm for 15 days. She's been to the hospital, found out that it will cost 300 taka to get fixed for them to plaster or do anything with it. And she's been going around all that time trying to get enough money to go. But the landlady said to me, you can give her, you know, you give her 10 or 20 taka and she'll go on, she'll eventually get the rest. And I thought, this poor lady, she's already had it for 15 days. So I gave her the 300 taka and her gratitude was just overwhelming. But it showed me the, the middle class have got a different attitude to poor than what we have. She just saw her, it's the poor, she, it's her karma, it's her problem, she can deal with it. Whereas we see it as a person, her as a person who, who needs help. And that's a huge difference in Bangladesh. One of the consequences of poverty uh, that we saw very clearly just, in Bangladesh... I missed out one thing. There are absolute... <laughs> Sorry, you're on the next one. There are absolutely no benefits in Bangladesh. The government doesn't give a thing. They take, but they don't give. There are no benefits, no, no medical treatment, no nothing for people in Bangladesh which is beyond our understanding. Sorry, now you can go. One of the consequences of uh, being poor in Bangladesh uh, is uh, future life for children and uh, young adults. Uh, Bangladesh has a policy that education is free for all, for both boys and girls. The problem is that when you try to enter one of your children into school at age five, that child has to sit an exam and pass the exam before they're admitted into the programs. Uh, in order to get enough knowledge to pass that exam, you have to pay for tutors to tutor that child before the age of five. The poor people can't afford tutors, so poor people's children never get to school. And the cycle goes on and on. And it was a privilege uh, we saw in some of the video earlier. Uh, the, the work that Transcend NZBMS has been doing in Bangladesh to improve the lot of the poor by providing education and accommodation uh, to children who are marginalised so that they can have a better future. So when you arrived in Bangladesh the, the first time, what did you do when you got there? We tried to learn Bangla, which was uh, Coop Kotin. <laughs> that means very difficult. <laughs> very difficult. No, I, I'm, I'm an accountant and an administrator by, by profession, 
Uh, I went to Bangladesh with the sole purpose of uh, being the administrator for New Zealand Baptist Missionary Society in Bangladesh. Uh, but little did I know that that would involve me in so many things. Uh, when you do finance and administration for an organisation, you get involved in everything that they do. And this was a privilege for me. I found this uh, uh, quite exciting because the things that we got involved with uh, as an organisation, I got particularly involved with from a finance and administration point of view. Um, so I had two staff and uh, I worked with my two uh, young men for the 10 years that I was involved there. And uh, we built a relationship together, and that was a fantastic relationship that we had. We trusted each other. We knew that we could rely on each other. We knew that we were on the same page all the time. Uh, and so relationships are important to build over that time. Uh, I was involved in training of young uh, graduates from university who, uh, in some cases, had passed a master or a Bachelor of uh, uh, Commerce, but had never opened a computer. We got back to basics. Uh, we spent time and involvement and uh, building relationships with them. Uh, we were involved with the partnership with the Bangladesh Baptist Fellowship. Uh, the Bangladesh Baptist Fellowship has just celebrated this year its 100th year anniversary of being established. Uh, they have been working uh, and forming churches throughout Bangladesh. Uh, NZBMS had a partnership uh, with them and I was able to be part of that. Uh, I was able to be involved in the schools and the hostels that New Zealand Baptist Mission in partnership with BBCF uh, created or established so that young people could have an opportunity. So all of these things it was just a thrill to be involved with and uh, we might get a chance later on, Colin, to tell you a few stories about that, but that'll be later. Well, just a side question. Hostels. Why are we involved in hostels? Paper rock scissors. Jen, Jen. I'll just tell you about one. The, the um, Telugu community was a group, group from India. <clears throat> the pastor that we, the church we went to, he was a Telugu, and he had a church just along the road from us, and he was a man who loved God with all his heart and soul. And, but his community had been brought over from India to be uh, road workers, um, to build roads. And they got over there and found that they weren't any use for that, so they put, put them on as street sweepers. So the Telugus are the street sweepers, the down and outs. So, and they didn't believe in educating their girls. So he took 15 girls into, when we arrived there, he had 15 girls living in his church and home with him so that they could go to school. And he was really working on that. And then we started a Telugu hostel further north while we were there. And it had 50 kids in it. And these girls went up to, to that um, place. If, they le if you leave them with their um, parents, the parents ne need money. Survival is difficult. They send them out to work. So that's one of the reasons that we took them into hostels, to separate them, to give the, the chance at a proper education. The National Church in Bangladesh has got 10 hostels in Bangladesh. Uh, New Zealand Baptist Mission was involved with three of those hostels uh, in the time that we were there. And, uh, and we, it, we rely on sponsors from New Zealand who, uh, to raise funds for those hostels to operate. It gives young children, five-year-olds onwards, uh, from... Uh, marginalised homes and families the opportunity to get into the education system. 
Um, they uh, live in the hostels during uh, term time and uh, the sponsorship provides for their uh, accommodation, for their food and for their school costs. And it's a tremendous opportunity for those uh, kids from the marginalised families to get the opportunity to, uh, to get that education that they so much need. Okay, so one more question. When you first there, we've heard the kind of plethora, lots of the things that you were involved in supporting make happen. Jan, what were you doing? Well, I, I, the, along that road from where we were, there was a clinic and it was set up by a doctor on, who went visiting around the slums on his motorbike and found such a huge need. So he set up this clinic along there. It was sort of a bamboo structure. It was just a whatever. And I went along there and um, I weighed babies in that clinic, got to know the, the, the mothers. Um, it, it was one of the richest parts of, of my time there. Because it was in that really poor area, I learned so much about Bangladesh, about the life with those people there. And it was just, it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful experience to be able to go there. There was one Christian doctor. They, they had um, patients with TB that came in every Tuesday. So I, when I was going, I was always made sure I was going to be there on a Tuesday. And sometimes he just had such a, a desperate, poor man that couldn't cope. They would be down to about 35 kg or, you know, really... So he would send for me and could he have some money to send away to, for somebody who could buy some eggs for this man because he just really needed something built up. I mean, I, I just was so blessed to be there and, and learn so much from that clinic. So I did that. And then I started teaching English. I studied here at Seafield School before we left and I learnt teaching English. Most of the students were... Um, uh, university students who want to go overseas to study and they need to do the IELTS course and gosh what I learned about Bangladesh through those guys because the they'd learnt the grammar at school but they didn't know how to speak it they didn't have the confidence to speak so we spoke a lot and I just heard all their stories and it was just wonderful and they related well I told them when, that, when the, these guys came in I showed them in the Quran where it said King David gave the Psalms, no, Allah, Allah gave the Psalms to King David. So I showed them that in the Quran, and I said, here in our Bible are the Psalms. See, same thing, there they are there. And so at the end of every class, we will read from the Psalms. And um, only one said, can I go early? And I said, look, you can go and learn English somewhere else. This is part of the class. If you want to come, that's part of the class. And uh, he came. He came. He invited us to his home for dinner when they fin our classes finished, along with our visiting pastor and all that. We had a wonderful meal at his house. Um, and but then at the after we'd read the psalms, I would pray usually about at the beginning about what the psalms had said. Thank God for the wonderful creation or whatever it was. And then gradually they started asking me to pray for things, and we just prayed a lot with these guys. It was just wonderful and girls too. And I had a whole lot of other um, wives whose husbands were working there come in and learn English. It was, it was really, really special. So I did that. We started a guest house. We met a lady, who had, a doctor, who had come in from, Bung, from England and she was going to work in Bangladesh. And she, the person who met her hated Bangladesh and gave her a very bad welcome to the place. So I thought, well, I need to fix this. So... We opened a guest house, we invited people to come into us and these volunteers were coming to us and I loved living there. 
And so I would take them shopping. I'd have to make sure they got the right clothes, nothing indecent showing. Um, take, get them to the bank, get their money, all the sort of things to help them um, get started and, and to be able to cope, show them how to deal with the beggars, how to cope with them, because there are beggars everywhere. But that, don't be frightened of them. Just, and all that stuff. So I, I, I did that and we had YM teams and all sorts of other people and they would sit at our dinner table at night and we would talk, they'd tell us about what they did and we would pray again, pray together with their needs or enjoy their exciting stories. We just learnt so much about Bangladesh through all of that. You might have noticed, Colin, that uh, one of those pictures there, there was a, there was a couple that you might have recognised. They met at our place. Just wanted you to know that. That's right. So that's, that's what building relationships is all about, you see. <laughs> that was Jim and Sharon who came as single, single people uh, uh, and stayed in our guest house. Uh, and they went for long walks after a little while. And in the end, uh, I gave Sharon away uh, as a sort of a stand-in father. And, uh, and that, was a, that was a joy too. We'll just pause for a moment. Why don't you just, uh, from what you're listening, just think for a moment. What have you heard about how um, Alan and Jan have been salt and light? Just think about that question for a moment. That was a mo. <laughs> now, you guys had this amazing privilege of going back. Because often in these things, you were, you were there nine years, ten years? We were there nine, nine years full-time and then commuting for another year. So it's a big hunk of your life. And what often happens is you go... And you never really know what pays off and what doesn't. But just this year, was it this year or last, last year? That's right. We went back in February and March this year. We, we had an amazing return trip back to Bangladesh and to Kolkata. So what did you notice? Tell us some stories. Well, the, I think the most overwhelming uh, thing that happened to us was was the amazing welcome that we received back from the people that we used to know. We'd been away from Bangladesh for 10 years and yet we would walk into a place and would be would be welcomed with open arms and and it just it, it just made us feel uh, how the relationships that we had built over the 10 years that we'd lived there uh, endured for another 10 years while we were away and it was like we'd never been away. So we saw some of the results of uh, the work that is going on there. Now, we were only part of the work. Uh, we facilitated, we uh, encouraged, we took part in a lot of things uh, for our colleagues and ourselves in Bangladesh in the 10 years that we lived there. It wasn't so much that we ran schools or we ran hostels or we ran training programs or we, we trained pastors and this sort of thing. We built relationships. Uh, we weren't going to get anywhere without investing time and love into the people that we were associating with. And, and I think that's what's endured over the 10 years we've been away. And it was just a privilege to go back and, and share. And, uh, and I, I just want to just highlight a couple of uh, people that we met when we were there and to show, to show you that the investment that was made previously is is worth it. Um, Omit was a man, a young man who uh, we met when he first came into the hostel system uh, when we first went to Bangladesh. That was over 20 years ago now. Uh, 
And uh, Omid grew up through the hostels and went to school. He was a, a boy from a family that lived in Chanpur, whose dad worked at the mission compound. We met Omid when we returned in February. Omid is now living back in uh, Chanpur. He has graduated from school. He is now studying. But Omid uh, is working as well uh, in the school that was mentioned, uh, and you mentioned it too, Colin, in the jailhouse uh, that's been converted into a high school in Chanpur. And Omit is working there alongside Cindy and others, and he's looking after and responsible for the special needs kids in that hostel. What an amazing way he can share his faith and his life with those who are there now. Um, it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for an opportunity to get an education. Can I just say that the hostel parents were committed Christians. They, they really got a good Christian um, encouragement within the hostel too. It wasn't just... And all the children we took in were Christians because they are the most downtrodden, the poor is downtrodden, well, the Christians are the downtrodden, very small minority, and nothing happens for them. A Christian will never get a government job. They'll never get into any of these main things. Um, Muslims wouldn't employ Christians in any, of their, in any of their businesses or anything like that, unless they were outstanding. And so we did our best to um, upskill Christians so that they could get into jobs of, you know, in the society. Now, you saw that nurse standing there. She was one of those Telugu girls uh, that I mentioned before, that they didn't believe in um, educating their, their um, girls. So Rebecca went through, the, we got her into the hostel. That hostel is sponsored totally by New Zealand Christians. And so I'm not sure who sponsored her, but somebody did. And then we, while we were there, we got her into... Um, our Christian hospital in Brahmanbari, our mission hospital, and we got her enrolled as a nurse, and she's now graduated, and we just feel very proud of, of, of that, and we just trust that those girls who have had education now, not all of them will have jobs, but many of them, we trust that they will um, educate their children when they come along, and so we've worked at breaking that cycle. Helen, tell us about David and Isaac. That's right, David and Isaac were, were were two, there were three brothers actually. We never met the third brother, but we met David and Isaac early in our time in Bangladesh. Uh, their father died at, when they were uh, quite young, and uh, mum was left to look after these three boys. Uh, they were from a, a Muslim background, uh, but had become believers. And uh, the future looked fairly grim for them. They were in a village situation. Uh, David and Isaac were taken into the John Takel Hostel uh, in Brahmabaria uh, on the compound that New Zealand Baptists had established there 100 years before. But uh, the, uh, these two boys came into the hostels, uh, were sponsored from New Zealand, and then uh, were educated at the school that uh, the mission has started and is now operated by the Bangladesh Baptist Fellowship. It's interesting that this, this school has got about 1,200 students attending the school every day. Uh, it was a school that was established by, by Transcend. Uh, there were probably might be 100 Christian children at that, host, at that high school. Uh, the other 1,300 are from a Muslim background and there is a waiting list to get people in. 
This is the respect now that that school has in the community. But that's beside the point. David shared early in his time uh, at Brahmabaria that one day he wanted to be a doctor, that he wanted to become a doctor and go back to where he lived and to help the people there. Uh, David completed his education. He came to Dhaka and was part of our training program for a year. Uh, and then uh, he gave, was given the opportunity by uh, some sponsors here in New Zealand and also uh, quite a rich man, a Christian man in Bangladesh, to attend medical school. Uh, there was a picture that we could see there that uh, David uh, has graduated from medical school. He has become a doctor. He has uh, practiced for a while in different hospitals, but now he is a general practitioner in the town of Boyrob. This is the town where he grew up as a little boy. His dream was fulfilled in that he got the chance to go back to his hometown and be a doctor to the people that he grew up amongst. And that's just an amazing story. That would never have happened if Transcend NZBMS hadn't partnered with the churches and the Christians in Bangladesh to, get, to establish hostels and schools and that sort of thing. Uh, and this partnership has been going on for so long and will continue to go uh, on like that. This is why Ross and Cindy, uh, in the video you saw earlier, were, were talking about the importance. What did Ross say? It takes one year, whatever for a baby to be born and to come into this world. It takes an awful lot longer to grow that person. And it's the, it's the uh, relationship that is built with these people over time. It's time that is invested into their lives so that their lives can uh, be better for it. So you went, to you went back to Bangladesh, you saw a bunch of the people you'd poured your lives into. Now, most people here won't be um, jumping out of here and getting into a plane and flying to Bangladesh. Um, but they face the same challenge of how do you be salt and light in this world? So if you were talking to someone who was going to go off to Bangladesh to do this kind of stuff, what would you say to them? What? I'm thinking about the how do you be salt and light. What would you say to them? They're not prepared for this question, so... <laughs> <laughs> Can I, can I digress, Colin, from, from mission and all this sort of yeah. thing? Because you're, you're talking about the local scene. Well, I'm talking about, yeah, what does it have to do with us? Okay. It have to do with us. When we were young Christians and not married for too long, we lived in Dunedin. Uh, now, this is going back a long way now. Uh, we lived in, lived in Dunedin, and an English family, mum and dad, and I think there were three kids, moved in just along the road from us. Uh, they'd come from England. Uh, after a short while, we got to know them. We started taking their kids to Sunday school at church where we went. Uh, and so we'd pick them up every Sunday, take them off to Sunday school, drop them back off afterwards. Uh, we had a good news club in our home uh, during that time. And uh, the kids would come along to the good news club. Jan and another couple of ladies started a coffee morning in our home uh, where they would have somebody come 
and what did you do? You used to have coffee in a craft. Someone would talk about a craft or something like this, and then and then they'd have someone talk about something. A topical speaker uh, on a Christian subject, just a mm -hmm. short, short, brief topical right. subject. Right. And uh, anyway, well. and Jan, Jan invited the mum from this family along to that as well, and, and that was great. Uh, about a year later, they felt that they just weren't settled in New Zealand. They came from the UK, and they decided that they were going to go back to back to England. So they packed up their home, went home to New went back to the UK, settled in Liverpool, and uh, that was it. And we thought, well, you know, that's okay. Uh, two Christmases later, we got a Christmas card from this family. And written on the Christmas card, they said, you might be interested to know that we've become Christians. And they went on to explain to us that uh, they were there back home living in Liverpool and there was a knock on their door and there were a couple of people standing there and they were going around advertising because Billy Graham was going to be speaking uh, at rallies throughout the UK at that time. And, uh, and they started talking to mum and dad and mum and dad sort of thought, we've heard this from somewhere before. And they thought back to their time in New Zealand. And so they got involved. They got involved um, uh, and so forth. The, the, cut a long story short, mum and dad became believers. Their three children became believers. Mum and dad's mum and dad's became believers. Some of their brothers and sisters became believers. Uh, we visited the UK quite a number of years after that and we went to Liverpool and we visited this family. What a joy it was. All that happened, we didn't, we thought they'd gone back to the UK, you know, well that's all okay. Um, we just sowed a few seeds, someone else did a bit of watering, God grew them into the Christian faith and, and I think being salt and light in the world, whether it's in New Zealand, whether it's in Bangladesh, is, is being prepared to be authentic Christians in the community where you live, with the, around the neighbours you go, uh, uh, whether you go to work with or whatever, and to invest your time uh, in relationships. Uh, we wouldn't have got anywhere in Bangladesh without building relationships, and I, it's diff no different anywhere else. So the last word? I agree with everything he says. <laughs> Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Mm -hmm. Thanks loads, guys. 
I've got uh, just a couple of minor housekeeping things, and then I think we're going to close with the songs. Is that all right? Yep. So the team can come up just while I'm talking about them. Uh, we have an AGM on the 22nd of May. I meant to mention this at family time. Did we take up an offering? Oh, awesome. That's great. Um, however, what we didn't do is say in May, during May Mission Month, we collect money. We call it self-denied. You kind of give up something of yourself. And, and those bags that are on the table like that, there, grab a bag. The idea is that you give up something or that you put aside some money into that bag. And at the end of May, we collect it. And it goes into supporting people like Alan and Jan, um, people in those circumstances, some of the people you saw in the video. Does that make sense? Excellent. Thanks, guys.